Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name's Paul Reismandel. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here. I love radio and sound. I love making Radio Survivor. And I'm Jennifer Waits. And today, uh, we've got a bunch of fun topics to talk about. We're going to talk about podcasting. We're going to talk about, of course, radio stations. We're going to talk about vinyl. We're going to talk about some amazing college radio experiments. Um... There's a lot of yeah. Fun you know, stuff we here at Radio Survivor we celebrate we celebrate uh, all kinds of non-commercial radio that that float just under the world of uh, national public radio, uh, which it's a big tent, and it's actually once you start to try to define it, you 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 fall down rabbit holes. But it's it's a, it's the world that we care about at Radio Survivor, and so that's that's the general topic today is. Yeah. The, and, this, these sounds that go over the airwaves. And I've been away for a few weeks, so I'm glad to be back in the saddle Welcome and back, talking Paul. with the both of you. You haven't been uh, you haven't been not producing radio. There's lots of radio <laughs> yeah. coming in the future based on your absence, your yes, travels. Yes, working on lining up some interviews and uh, some interesting things. And, yeah, fun and, stuff. And we know, Jennifer, you're a little tired because you're in the midst of Vinylthon at KFJC. That's right. Yes. Um, I sort of encouraged pe- my my friends and <laughs> it's colleagues. <laughs> it's my fault. I'm well, I'm I'm now publicity director there. So now it's like full disclosure. But oh. and KFJC you know, is a college radio station that that spins a lot of records in Los Altos Hills. Yeah, we do regularly. So, yeah, I'm a volunteer. That's a volunteer position. Um, and yeah, I wanted we have. Uh, we just figured out, we just counted, we have 45,000 pieces of vinyl in the wow. KFJC library, and it gets used all the time, and vinyl is added to the station on a regular basis. So, yeah, when I heard that College Radio Day was, well, I know that they've been doing Vinyl Thon the past th- few years. and So the, this finally- is when the stations sign up to, to play a lot of exclusive vinyl programming on record store day, which is April 13th, which will be in the past when people have heard this show, but right now is still a day away, but KFJC you're overachievers. Yeah. So, you know, this is the first year that I really kind of extra special encouraged folks at KFJC to see if we might participate because to participate, you only have to agree to air one hour of vinyl during mm-hmm. the day, which sure. you know happens at KFJC on a normal basis. So I figured we could do 24 hours, which uh, is the goal for a lot of stations. But then I thought with the station's 60th anniversary this year, we should go for 60 hours, which easily we had enough, you know, regular DJs were like, yeah, of course. You keep raising the bar. I love it. You're going to have to replace yeah. a lot of styli uh, on, on Monday. Maybe. Yeah. And then... <laughs> So then, like, clearly it was exceeding 60 hours, so we decided 89.7 hours for the um, spot on the dial. KFJC (laughs) is 89.7. And then people started earlier than anticipated, so now we're at something like 104 hours. That's wonderful. So this is is your radio station, KFJC. All the DJs are doing all of their music, playing all the sets that they're that they're sharing with the audience uh, is coming off of vinyl vinyl only yep. records uh what does that do to the sound of the radio station it sounds it sounds normal to me yeah. i mean it sounds like kfjc 
you know, because we're, we add vinyl all the time. So, you know, people are playing new music that we've added. People are playing older music. Um, and, and it's regular DJs on their regular shifts who are playing vinyl. So they're doing their regular show. How does it sound compared to folks for, for someone who listens to other radio stations, maybe even other college and community stations where, you know, arguably a lot of the music is probably coming from CD or these days coming from a hard drive. Yeah. What's what, well, how does it sound different? Do you, do you have a sense for that? Well, I mean, to me, to me, I feel like if I'm flipping the dial, I can sometimes tell when music is being played from a computer you know, particularly a video service, perhaps. Oh, when it gets um, that shimmery, yeah, there's like underwatery com- kind of sound. Rest, yeah. you know, you're just not hearing the full range of sounds. So, I mean, I hear that quite often when I'm flipping around on some other non-commercial stations, and and so to me, when people are playing from vinyl or you know even high quality cassettes, uh, it tends to sound better to me over the radio. But you know, there's a lot of People, people, audiophiles have a lot of different opinions about right. what that, forms. Yeah, but of there, there's like an aesthetic has... still. Like you know, even if we get away from like the better or worse argument, right? Right. You know, I, I wonder. Oh do yeah, you, hear you the might clicks hear and pops. Yeah, you might hear sure. crackles and pops. You well, know, I'm also, I'm also depending on how clean the record is. I'm also thinking though that not only does analog sound different, but that there must be a there's there's a sorting of the selection that takes place that. Um, that physical media, and especially if you reduce it down to, to vinyl-only physical media, it must uh, sort of generate just a different selection of songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, and also, as you're saying that, it also, I think, creates a, a more alive sound because there's a human who is physically yeah. switching from record to record versus popping in a pre-programmed digital playlist. It, it matters um, that a person is touching each track and you can screw it up right yeah. if, you, if, if you don't get the cue point right sure. you, you, yeah. the, the, the turntable comes up to speed while the music is going well, this is fun that. because not only is or you hear like wrong speed wrong speed radio and some djs intentionally play things at different speeds we have one turntable where you can play things backwards so like that's stuff that you wouldn't hear if you were listening to an all cd or an all digital show necessarily Although, you know, there's some artists that kind of mimic those And there are CD things. players that do that, too. Yeah. The CDJs. So, exactly. You know. Don't get me started. You know, it's, <laughs> it's fun, though, because not only is this, you know, we're talking about a vinyl day on college radio to celebrate. And college, community radio and stations. Community record, right. Yeah. To celebrate. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah anybody can participate, actually. And there's, I guess there are even, I think there are even some commercial stations participating. Good for them. Yeah, there may be um, because it it functions as sort of a fundraiser for College Radio Foundation. So there, it's free to participate for non-commercial stations, but commercial stations pay, and then that goes into a fund that is utilized by the College Radio Foundation in their grant writing for college radio stations. As, and I don't want to force a, a segue yet. I'm not sure if we're ready to change topics, but to me, this is reminiscent of. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the days when podcasting was more of a tangible physical medium. It never was pressed to vinyl, but there was a time where you could literally hold a podcast in your hand. Although for Record Store Day, 
there is a piece of WTF with Mark Marin vinyl. <laughs> there you go. So it ah. they're, they're pressing a record, and it and what it is is it's performances at artists who visited the garage where he records oh, his podcast. Yeah, he's recorded it. But the funny thing is, that he's just recorded it on his podcast rig. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's sort of. I mean, more or less, it's akin to an in-studio performance at a radio station, hmm. except it was Mark Maron's garage. So it typically it's going to be mostly probably acoustic, and so they took some of these performances, of course, cleared the rights, and Press on record store vinyl, day yeah. you'll be able to That's buy great. it on vinyl. So it is, and and uh, I believe that uh, Comedy Bang Bang is doing a a, a vinyl project uh, as well. One of my so I've been trolling the used CD aisles a lot. We've talked about uh, the the. The, the the use of se- of compact discs, how it's not necessarily a, a useless medium, a physical medium. No, we've, we've covered that. Yeah, you can find, uh, Paul wrote about it on Radio Survivor, and you can also go listen to our episode of Radio Survivor where we sort of dug a little deeper into the idea of why CDs are worth keeping around. And uh, ever since these days, I've been I've been shopping for CDs, and one of my favorite to find is the... Um, is is the radio station uh, archive CD? There's a there's a, there's there's a there's a disc out there that I keep stumbling across. That's This American Life's compact disc. Oh yeah, from right. from the unique moment in history between between uh, you know CDs being out of style and podcasts coming into style. Well, you could get them for like all sorts. Yeah, there were you know I mean I think there's probably even a Joe Frank CD out there somewhere. Oh man, well, but there were, but lots started. of. Uh, uh, I had at one point I had a um, Ask Doctor Science CD. Do you know Ask Doctor Science? This was yeah. a no. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so it was a little segment that played on public radio, uh-huh. syndicated. But there was like a little three-minute segment, and it was it was comedy, and it was called Ask Doctor Science. So early aughts is that what we're talking about? Nineties, late nineties, nineties, and gosh, we should. Go find a, a little yeah. sliver of it. I forget who who produced it. It's time once again to ask Doctor Science. So let's ask Doctor Science. That's me. Remember, he knows more than you do. That's right. Ellie Sherson from Manhattan wants to know, dear Doctor Science, how do you tell a psychologist from a psychiatrist? I know some of both, and I'm always mixing them up. If you're not sure, use this simple test. Say to your suspect, "I hate my parents." The psychiatrist will say, "Why did you say that?" And the psychologist will say, thank you for sharing. As a rule of thumb, psychiatrists generally insist on being called doctor, while psychologists want to be called by their first name. A psychologist usually has just written a slim book about sex or success and hosts his or her own radio talk show. Psychiatrists spend their free time writing letters to the editor of the New York Review of Books. If all else fails, ask the subject directly. Are you a psychiatrist? The psychologist will say, sadly, Oh, no, but I wish I was. While the psychiatrist will say, Why did you ask that? Neither psychiatrist nor psychologist is any fun at all at parties. Thank you, Dr. Science. Send your science questions to Ask Dr. Science. Remember, he's not a real doctor. I have a master's degree in science. You, you mentioned how, you know, for Vinylthon, and I think the same thing would count for CDs, that going exclusively with one of these physical uh, media platforms, you, 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 there are things that exist only on vinyl still. There are things that have right. never, ever, ever made it onto right. another media. 
Um, My favorite thing is when people put their vinyl spinning record onto YouTube. I think that's a nice... Uh, Right. Yes, exactly. You see that, right? And, yeah. and sometimes the picture is just the spinning vinyl as they record it on. You know, but the same thing would be said for CDs. As vinyl went out of, uh, stopped being pro produced in many mass quantities by the late yeah. 90s. Also, cassettes stopped being made in the late 90s, right? Most things were released on CD. And we think, oh, it must be on Spotify. But anyone who's kind of, uh, I think, used Spotify or a title or Apple Music for a while has had a situation where yeah. you went and looked for this album you loved and you, you don't there's, find there's it. There's a lot of the history of punk rock, which is absent from the streaming services for various reasons. There's a lot of... Yeah, unique... sometimes just the label is out of business yeah. and there's no one to sign over the rights. There's a lot of... Well, and, there, and there's also stuff that utilizes the meat, the vinyl itself, then you can't replicate it. Like, there's this double LP called 500 Locked Grooves, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can't convert that to CD because and, it's And what's literally... a locked groove? So a lock, when you say, you know, you sound like a broken record, you're referring to basically a lock groove where a track is just stuck on repeat in a way. Right. It's uh, a loop. Yeah. Yeah, it's a loop. And so uh, this label did a few of these records where it's entirely these individual loops, which it's impossible on a record like that to find a specific loop in the middle, you know, if you're looking for mm -hmm. that track by so-and-so. Oh, it's, it's just very a, hard to find when you have 500 lock grooves. And what was the purpose of this? Was this for, like, hip-hop? Was this for, or just experimental no, it was radio? Ex it was experimental. Okay. I love it. Yeah, so you would, you know, instead of having a skipping record where a scratch is causing the needle to jump backwards to a random mm -hmm. point, you would design... It's the, intentional. The, yeah, you would design these grooves, these physical grooves to, to throw the needle backwards to a specific point it's your uh, it's your do-it-yourself do christian mark I want, I want one exactly and sometimes you know this happens like relatively often sometimes a track ends with a lock grooved a lock groove which yeah. is great if you're a dj and then you want to have a little extra time then uh. you know like oh i can just let that play out as long as i want huh. and it's sort of this droney paul Feeling. Yeah, Paul taught me this the last time we talked about compact discs. That the the Beatles is probably the most famous locked groove ending uh, with Sgt. Pepper's, and it's not on the CD. Yeah, I mean, so they they at the last track on the CD of Sgt. Pepper's um, plays that locked groove, but only once. But but or uh, twice. but only once or twice, just enough to give you to, to taste for it. And and when I remember very distinctly when it was released in 1987, because it was a big deal that the Beatles would finally be on CD. That folks were like, well, what about the lock groove? Right, because and, the because the vinyl version would play forever until you went and picked up the needle. Yeah, yeah. So that's something. And and Paul, you mentioned Christian Marclay. There, there's a record of his record without a cover. That it it's literally a piece of vinyl that has no cover. And so at KFJC, it's in the library in between albums that have covers on them. Huh. And you grab it out, and your fingers are getting on it, your fingerprints and the oil from your hands, and so that's usually verboten. You you know, yeah, you it's would intended never... to be to be messed with, right? Yeah, intended, like because you know his idea is that this record's going to continue to evolve, which <sighs> the you know, scratches all become part of the composition. Yeah, yeah, which happens anytime you have vinyl in a radio station, frankly, because you know it's getting played; it's not remaining in a pristine form. Right, right. Yeah, the physical act of the needle touching the grooves uh, wears away the grooves. What, what, yeah. what? It's, it's amazing, indeed. In fact, how actually durable 
vinyl is, right? Anyone who's sort of bought used records, and, and I clean them up. Like, I have a, yeah. a cleaner. To, and, and it's amazing what how much you can restore them just with a little bit well, of, of effectively soap and water. On, a, on multiple recent episodes of Radio Survivor, when we've talked to radio historians, uh, we have learned uh, from them that, that finding 78s, which is like... What, how do we describe seventy eight in the in the in the spectrum of what vinyl? Well, is? it's it, it's the first record. Yeah, they were they were three and a half minutes to a side, and they were and you can still find them all over the place, but you can't play them unless you have a seventy eight player. Um, and but we we spoke with um, uh, one oh, Lerone Martin. We, we spoke with Lerone Martin about seventy uh, eights that were African American preachers in the nineteen thirties and forties. And and Lerone Martin was able to to find on eBay seventy uh, eights of these recordings of the preachers uh, and put them to use as a historian. And we also spoke with um, a historian that was studying uh, radio in Uruguay. That was a uh, Radio Feminina, which was a woman powered radio station. It wasn't entirely clear uh, how many women and what their role was. It, we can't say that it was a women owned station, but we can definitely say that it was a radio station that was built to be focused on women's issues in Uruguay in the 1930s. And some of the characters in the stories that this historian was learning about uh, had recorded their voices onto 78s. Mm-hmm. And so she was able to... Uh, oh, yeah, utilize, that was Christine Eric. Christine Eric was able to utilize the uh, Argentinian equivalent of eBay to track down 78 records from the 1930s and 40s of these... Uh, uh, notable women poets from Argentina. I think that, you talked about it on the bonus episode. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so you can, you can. Uh, we'll have all this in our show notes. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. And this is episode 189. And so that'll, if you want to go down this K-hole with us, yes, we I, invite you to go down this K-hole I think it's a much us. more lively than K. Uh, you know, like <laughs> these sounds, you know, the sounds from the past are there is, was the point. And, they have, you know, and, and they're preserved. Survive. Yeah, and yeah, they, the they have survive. been preserved on 78s. And now at this point, we're heading into the territory where they're century old, yeah. generally speaking. And they're still there. And we can still hear the voices of the past. It's getting to be that we can hear the voices of our ancestors. Yeah. They're out there. Uh, and yet we don't know. We, it, it, the future is unwritten whether or not like these little bits that make up the podcast that we're making right. now will be recoverable Someone's and still available burn them. in 100 years. Someone's got to put them into wax exactly. for well, them to be preserved. It'll be our and next uh, our next big effort. Will like be a the... gold record sent into space. <laughs> I know. Well, and, we, and we've talked previously about how tape is, is disintegrating, and it's really important that important reel-to-reel and cassettes, that, you know, that material needs yeah, to be and VHS. saved. And, and VHS. Yeah, we, that was... That was one of my favorite episodes as well. That changed my life when we spoke with uh, those archivists working on the um, the KEXP's uh, uh, musical memories archive, mm-hmm. and we learned from people's those, home recordings, helping them to preserve yeah, them. We learned from those guests that any piece of of magnetic tape, be that be it video or audio, generally speaking, has a twenty year shelf life from the date that it comes out of the factory. And there, and at that point, from that point forward, it's no longer stable. So anything that's been recorded onto any of these tapes, especially 
especially valuable are the home movies and the home recordings because they weren't mass produced. There's only one copy. Those uh, need to be digitized uh, as we speak. It's time to digitize these tapes. And this particular project was digitizing these uh, home movies of bands and you know high school bands and and other kinds garage of bands. garage bands that were recorded in in basically in the 80s or 90s and and KEXP with partners partners uh, was preserving those sounds and it's it's time to preserve yeah, people's tape. local musical memories um, yeah and that was great that they were providing an infrastructure they had archivists on hand to help people save things but like Paul mentioned you know hopefully all this digital stuff that we're creating and backing up our analog stuff onto hopefully that we can then right. find again in the future you know there's there are fears about these gaps with things that that started out as digital as well mm-hmm. i mean myspace lost 15 years of people's recordings that they had uploaded uh, they just they dumped them no it was an error oh there was it was it was just a mess up and they sort of you know very uh you know, we, we think of MySpace right now. We're like, well, who cares about MySpace? But of course, in 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 the in the in the aughts, there are arguments to be made was, that MySpace was, was the greatest social media platform for bands. Right. It, there were tons of musicians, independent and otherwise, uploading their music, and it disappeared. It was more useful than the Facebooks or the Twitters right. or the Instagrams. In some ways, it was designed around that for for bands to promote their work and to reach out to their fans and and create community. It's funny to think that we've gone backwards. Yeah, in the history of and, social and if, media, and if you're an artist who uploaded some things and maybe lost the original and right. was sort of counting on that MySpace page, it's gone. As it turns out, there were some academics who had who had downloaded a, a portion, only a portion sure. How could they get of them of as a part of a study, and they recently gifted it to the Internet Archive. So a little bit is there, but but a lot of it is gone now. Yeah, really vital kind of community uh, portrait of what music culture was in the early aughts would be this myspace archive you might you know at the time that it was blasting through our eyeballs and ear holes we might not have realized uh what a portrait it was of of that time period like so keep your stuff yeah (laughs) keep your stuff so this is radio survivor burn it to gold vinyl we are here for the love of radio and sound I'm Paul Riespinel. With me is Eric Klein and Jennifer Waits. And, um, you know, we, we we sort of got onto this because we were talking about Vinylthon, which um, will be wrapped up by the time you're hearing this, but happens annually now around Record Store Day. There's got to be a hashtag. In April of, uh, of, of each year. There's got to be a searchable hashtag on, like, Mixcloud to, to go back to a Vinylthon celebration i would look for vinyl thought yeah yeah i'm sure it's still out there if you're if you're hearing the sound of our voices if you want and to hear you know it. kfjc may very well still be playing vinyl when this <laughs> that's right when this indeed. radio show airs when we, when we go when we go live on uh what it, what will be the date 14 15 on april 16th this episode will go live and so uh, you can go to kfjc.org to see if they are still uh, in their in their private vinyl thon on the 115th hour or something. That's right. <laughs> and and you can learn more about what we're talking about, of course, at radiosurvivor.com. Uh, um, I wanted to switch over, you know, and and talk a little bit about podcasting. So a little less physical medium. Not for me. I'm gonna argue. <laughs> but let's. I'll let me. I'll keep my mouth shut for the well, beginning. You know, for your intro. So March and April is something which people in the podcast industry. It's two months that that everyone gets excited about because we get two pieces of research every right. year. We, is it time to 
uh, talk about both your role as a radio survivor, founder, and writer, and your role. Well, at- you can just tell people I work in the industry. I work in marketing for right. Midroll Media, which is part of Stitcher. But but you founded your Labor of Love pod, you know, Radio Survivor uh, prior to your uh, uh, hiring in the yes. Podcast well, Radio industry. Survivor has been around since two thousand and nine. We'll be celebrating yeah, ten so years later dual, this year. You wear dual hats when you read these kinds of stuff. Of course, exactly. And we started our podcast though after I joined the industry. But I've been doing podcasting but only like minutes. A year. They really were like code. A but year, you but in I, podcasting you and years, I had coffee like and talked about starting a radio show where we discussed the issues that community radio and podcasting would overlap prior to your being hired by. Is that Midland. true? Yeah, I remember. Okay, I, remember. I believe you. I believe you. So yeah, I was excited that you you were a guest on Midroll's podcast. Before you the were an employee, yes. and I thought that was cool, and I wouldn't have known that it had happened if you and I hadn't met. So right, well, so I do work in podcasting, but we, <laughs> but you know, the hat I put on when we're here on Radio Survivors, thinking about podcasting as a community medium, and you know, right. and talking about community podcasting is something we've has been a common topic, whether it's uh, organizations. Uh, like uh, Bainbridge Island yeah. community uh, podcasting, where they don't have a station, they they they, they just podcast, or um, like the community radio station in Bend, uh, Oregon, and, and other stations right. which These are, are previous episodes of Radio Survivor are making podcasts part of their podcasts. community service. I also think that one of Radio Survivor's big lessons that we uh, have both developed and repeated often is that. You know, there's a whole world of podcasting. One of the mainstream concepts that defines podcasting is as a build an audience, get rich quick. People all over still think of podcasting as a way to 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 get rich quick, to make to get a million listeners out of the blue and, and to make a living, which is a delightful fact. It is a way that podcasts exists in the world. But we at Radio at Radio Survivor, we are always uh, I think we repeat it and I think it's worth repeating often. That podcasts have another superpower uh, beyond uh, earning an income, making a living, even though those things are nice and we like them. And it's building community. Right. And you can build a very powerful, small community with a podcast. We did an episode where we talked to some podcasters who are succeeding despite the fact that they have less than 200 listeners. And I think that that's a really valuable uh, lesson that bears repeating because you're never going to find those kinds of podcasts at the top of any any list ever, let alone written about in your local newspaper or talked about on television. But those are the those podcasts have value and power, and um, and we love them. Yeah. So so, that being said, so why, gonna... why we look for April and, and and March is that we get these reports from Edison Research and and Triton, um, who part who together collaborate on something called the Infinite Dial Survey which looks at people's listening habits. So it's a nationwide survey that asks people about their listening habits. So it includes, of course, radio. It includes satellite radio. includes things like streaming music, Pandora, Spotify, but also includes podcasting. And then they always follow up in April with uh, what they call the podcast consumer, where they they do more research about podcasting very specifically. And so the, the big headline news is right now, um, 90 million people listen to podcasts every month in the United States. Wow. All right. So we're, 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 we're getting very, you know, it's, we're not yet at that 50% mark, by the way. We're not yet at a majority of U.S. residents listening to podcasts, but 90 million is a lot. It is a growing, growing audience. What's interesting, though, is that if you start looking at age categories, 
we're getting closer to a majority when we talk about people aged 12 to 24. Of course, yeah. 40% of them listen to podcasts. Mm. And 39% of people aged 25 to 34. So people, you know, millennials, as we might say, and and uh, the other generation, whatever, <laughs> the names are just... Uh, they call them Gen Z. I don't Gen know if Gen Z. Z wants to be called Gen Z. But, but young people, right, you know, it's getting close to 50% of them <laughs> listen to podcasts. And I think that's an important thing to know because that's growing. Right. So it means, you know, I often hear the lament, oh, there's so many podcasts now. Why should I start one? And it's like, yes, but there's so many listeners too. Yeah. You know, good point. You know, I never hear any, any indie filmmaker saying, there's so many films. Why, why should I make a film? If it's right. in you to make a film, make a film. If it's in you to make a podcast, make a podcast. Um, and, you know, overwhelmingly, people are listening on the go. Right. Overwhelmingly, they're listening on smartphones yeah. or, or a tablet, some kind of mobile device like that, that. Was That was sort of the key. This is where my hobby horse that I'm going to ride after I let you describe more about the, the report. That... It, says, and it says 25% of people listen on a computer. Oh, OK. OK. They're sitting and, still. And, well, here's the interesting thing, though. When I look at the radio survivor stats, mm-hmm. we're, we're closer, a radio show and a podcast. We're closer to 30 some percent of people listening in oh. a browser in a computer. Interesting. And, and, and I would love to hear the radio survivor listeners feedback on it. But it seems to be a correlation. Maybe they're reading the show notes. Maybe they're reading the show notes. That would be lovely. I also, it seems that computer listening skews older. Yeah, of course it does. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out, I mean, I'm meeting more and more young people who aren't that young anymore. They're they're in their mid-30s even. Uh, more and more young people, and in their 20s and teens, uh, their main form of computing is, is the smartphone. They might yes. not even have... A, a very useful computer and computers to some extent i mean are more expensive yeah and uh you can do a lot on a smartphone and often they're subsidized by your carrier so you know you you don't have to put all six hundred dollars out at once and whereas you might have to do so um with, with a computer what was also interesting is they asked a the question of like what do you do while you're listening to podcasts and 70 percent of people said at least some of the time they're not doing anything else they sit still. They sit still and listen to their shows, which which is really awesome. I wash uh, the dishes. The second most popular is doing housework or chores. Yeah. Third most is driving. Well, yeah, of course. Fourth is relaxing before going to sleep. Yeah. And that's something I've started doing because, you know, there's a lot of research that says the blue light from our devices, from screens, interferes with our ability to go to sleep, with our sleep patterns. And so I try to moderate my screen time before going to sleep. And yet I'll still want to kind of have something uh, kind of going on. And, and a podcast is a great way to do that. Hmm. So uh, that, that's some interesting information about you know, this, this growth of the medium. And I think what that means for, what that means for people who are interested in, in community or, or art, right. And not, not, not necessarily uh, turning things into immediate commerce is that there continues to be an opportunity and that there is an, there are people who want to connect with what you do and they're there. And people come into podcasting, for all sorts of reasons. And I think the mistaken assumption has been for a long time is that like there is this podcast audience and it is sort of monolithic, but well-defined and it has boundaries. So if you making a show, you're competing 
with other shows to reach that podcast audience, right? Because that's what would be true of radio, yeah. right? Radio, of course, you know, despite the fact that it sort of has slowly declining listenership, still reaches, you know, 90-some percent of people in the United States or any given community, right? When, when, when you have that kind of saturation, and of course you only have so many places on the dial, if someone's listening to your station, they can't be listening to another station. Yeah, and if you're on the radio... No one else is like right. on that particular station. Right, exactly. It's one at a time. It's a limited monopoly. It's an oligopoly. We are on the radio now, somewhere in America, uh, playing to to an audience member who's listening to us, and no one else is. You know, it's and our, it's, and it's and yet there show. is still the effect that, you know, when it comes to radio, it still isn't quite such a zero sum game. At this point, I think a lot of low power FM's or college stations are bringing young people into radio when they hadn't really made radio yeah. a habit. And, and with podcasting, we're still bringing people into the medium. Right. Right. So you are not necessarily, this is not a zero sum game, right? The, you know, we have 90 million people listening monthly. Well, that leaves still uh, something on the order of 200 million or more. Who are waiting for their first plus, podcast. Who are waiting for the first podcast to bring them in into the medium. And that first podcast will be their favorite podcast for the rest of their lives. Exactly. That they will Even remember though- as their as their gateway drug into this I, world of on-demand audio. I don't know if this helps or hurts the cause that you're that you're that you're illustrating, but I recently learned that the, one of those shows that really brought in a gigantic chunk of uh, new listeners to the podcast genre is Doctor Phil's yes. podcast show. Well, it's a show that uh, that I, I have to admit uh, my company is the ah. uh, exclusive distributor for or we, we monetize it we sell the ads on it so yeah, we're and, and dr phil being on television with a with a boost from oprah winfrey when his career began uh he's got a big chunk of people that that are brand new to listening to the internet and mostly radios. you know women over the age of 35 yeah right so how is that how many episodes of dr phil have gone off gone on there Who knows? uh it's been i don't know it's been three months worth. i haven't listened to any of it yet but i hear that it was it's a smashing commercial success it is a smashing commercial success um and i think that we'll continue to see shows that bring in folks you know some will be you know big and mass right they will be mainstream but I think yeah, there's still lots of opportunity for lots of niches and for lots of interesting experimentation. And again, you know, you might be in a community, you know, whether it's a physical community, a geographic community, or sort of a virtual community where there is not yet like a podcast out there that serves its needs. Yeah, my favorite concept, and I know that it exists in the world, I've learned about it sometimes, but it's also something that might just be a fantasy that I need to actualize, but the the idea of a, a neighborhood podcast, like that that there really couldn't be, or like a you know we know that there are shows. Jennifer, you've you've helped me learn about shows that are produced by and for like high school communities, so that right. these shows, um, their audiences are by necessity very small, but for those audiences. They're everything. And so that's a podcast that's that's never going to have a Squarespace ad on it, but it but it means something to the people that listen to it, even if it's 12 people. And I, I think that, uh, that, that those are the podcasts that I want more of in the world. Well, and interestingly, now I can't remember the details, but there was something akin to a college radio station at one college that is podcasting. Hmm. So... So there might even be colleges that are starting podcasting clubs that 
end up creating that same kind of community that yeah. a college which radio is, I mean, there are podcasting creates. classes now. I know this yeah, for a fact. Yeah, exactly. Which is so important because that's one of the that's one of the the difficulties of podcasting is that you might be a solo uh, you know communicator. You might have this desire to create a program that you want to share with an audience, but if you don't actually physically know that audience, it's impossible to share your program with them. This, you you yeah, can put it on the web right, and yeah. you can try to tell the world, but it's uh, a podcast is not going to get a hundred listeners uh, just because it's posted online. You need to find audience members and uh, and share it with them. You, you sometimes you need to physically know who they are. They you need to have a real relationship with them. So I love the idea of there being college campuses where uh, at least the club, I imagine is listening to each other. Right. And that's a very good right. uh, And that's so much step. of college radio. I mean, it really right. starts with, it really starts often with the students listening to each other, their friends listening to each other, parents over online listening to it. And, and it grows, and it grows from there. And, you know, that's always, I think we have to come back to that, that very important ground point, which is, which is audience. Who, who do you want to talk with? Who, who are you serving? Whose needs are being fulfilled? How does this enhance somebody's life, help them out, get them through a problem in any given moment? And that can be entertainment. It can be laughing. It can be information. It can be education. All these things are valid. It can be, you know, artistic growth. All these things are, 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 are opportunities and reasons why someone might listen it's helpful if you care about building an audience and serving community to try and figure those things out for yourself. You know, this is the point where I think we should open it up uh, to let listeners know that we're very interested in learning about uh, any tiny podcast project that you're aware of. If there's a podcast that has a significant uh, a fan base that is small, you know, there's no way for well, us we to don't, find Yeah, we, we're not even going to say it. We don't care whether it's small or big, right? I, w- I want to know about, but I mean, I imagine that there's podcasts that have under 100 listeners that are that matter to those and there are thousands there are tens of thousands so i want to you know radio survivor listeners are hearing us you know tell us about these shows because that i'm fascinated always well and and, and we're often fascinated by these under the radar type Mm -hmm. sound projects so that's completely in line with that some you know i love digging up sort of these obscure stations in places like antarctica and you know high school radio stations so along the same lines, a, a podcast delving into something, you know, very specific or interesting, I'd love to know about yeah, it. And, and, we, and, what, and why we're not just going about picking these things out of, you know, sort of iTunes or, or picking them out of Stitcher because we don't have any context, right? And I think the important part is when there is a listener who says, no, this, this, this podcast is awesome. I love it for these reasons. Now we have context. Now we have the ability to kind of situate it and say, here's why it's important to to this community of listeners or this community in general. And and that's what we where we need you. So so drop us a line. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com is our email, but you can also get to us on Facebook. You can also get to us on Twitter. We're very easy to communicate with, but uh, we'd love to actually hear from you. And this is Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reesmandel. I'm Jennifer Waits. And I'm Eric Klein. And I think that it shouldn't even be called podcasting because, oh, no. well, it's not, you know, 
it, we, we talked about this on episode like two of Radio yeah. Survivor many years ago and uh, came to the conclusion, at least I did, uh, that it's called radio. It's all radio. It's radio on demand. And it's a little bit, yeah, which is, which is fine for the first couple of years of on demand as a culture. But at a certain point, on demand just becomes what it is. Uh, and so it's, there's no, you don't even need the qualifier Whether I'm anymore. watching The Good Place on NBC or I'm watching it online. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, all, it's, all ra- it's all television. Yeah, it's not going to be on demand streaming video forever. It's just going to be television. The, the problem is, and I will say, I agree with you. And I don't think there's, you know, in many ways, no one loves the name podcasting. Sure. It's just, it's like trying to change the name of Kleenex. I don't, I don't think it, I, I totally understand that the business of podcasting is going to stick with the name. But you know, this it is up, a different business. This came up for me because there's a there's a new premium channel that's been uh, advertising directly to me on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, uh, that that is you know that they're calling themselves podcasting. Luminary is the yeah. name of the network. And there's actually another one that was a sports talk it premium channel out, yeah. that got me on on. Twitter. So Luminary is a is 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 a big deal because uh, they have like a hundred million dollars. Sure. Uh, funding from from uh, venture capitalists to create premium podcasts, which yeah. by premium we mean uh, subscription podcasts. And, and what's unique about that is that for me, when I began to listen to a podcast in the in the mid early aughts, and you know, let's call let's say in two thousand four, Eric Klein is listening to a podcast. I didn't have a phone that I listened to my podcasts on. I downloaded them to iTunes on a computer and then and then physically stored them on an MP3 player that was not connected to the web and that tangible aspect of podcasting was really important to me I think it helped me focus I think I was more apt to listen to a podcast from beginning middle to end because I had a tangible download uh I was more apt to store them and re-listen to them if I liked them because they physically existed, which reminds me of my uh, um, relationship to compact discs or even vinyl. That I think a, that a piece of music that I care about that streams on my Spotify channels is just more likely to get misplaced than my favorite CD when I was 13 years old. And I think that that's an important relationship to to sound that podcasts had when the word podcast made sense because it was linked to the to the to the physical device to the iPod the iPod mm-hmm. um it's fascinating now that uh, that it's all just streaming it's all just mobile like as you were saying this study uh the growth is all yeah on and people are phones. still downloading mm-hmm. i mean you know still all the major Podcast listening apps. I feel like it's just a weird put downloading. Yeah. Well, well it's because, well, some people commute underground. Well, it's because there's still many situations yeah. in which you are not connected. If you're in a subway system, you know, or or your connection is is not sufficiently driving. Consistent. I guess well, some people drive out in the non-urban areas where their cell phone service will drop off. Or yeah, or through a bridge or through a tunnel. Or, or they want to save their data plan, so they're being they're conserving yeah. their 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 over. But, but you their... sort of started this with talking about this uh, luminary, this premium, yeah. and so I'm not sure what the. Well, I I, I picked a couple fights on on Facebook and Twitter uh, for fun. Uh, I I got a few bites just being a bit of a podcast purist troll that um that the premium content behind a paywall can't be a podcast because because it's uh. You can't find it 
So is HBO not television? Is Netflix not television? It's possible. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's premium cable. So anyway, I mean... I think I think the I think I understand why you feel strongly about this. I understand why a lot of people feel strongly. Your, yours is actually not a, 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 a it's a widely held opinion that I've been hearing yeah. many many times. Um, and and uh, I recognize that I'm kind of being a troll, right? But I also like I liked what a podcast was in 2010. But it still is. I mean, you know, yeah. what we have to kind of, what I think I always have to remind people is that, well, that still exists. <laughs> right now, say our right. podcast, Radio Survivor, uh, you will, you can download it. You can download all of our episodes if you want to go. Uh, most podcasts are still available in that mode. Um, nothing really has fundamentally changed. And right. even if you're streaming, so so right now, if you if you use an Android device and you search for a podcast in Google, you can just listen to it right there in your browser, mm-hmm. like and and like not even on the web page for for the for yeah. the for so the. It's a feature that Google has recently added. Right, recently added. You know, and um, you know, so you can just stream it, but you can also just download it. Like all of these things are still exist. Yeah, and. I think that if we look at, if we compare the development of podcasting, the history so far, to the development of every other media platform, at least since the 19th century, the same cycles emerge. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, there, There is subscription radio, and there has been subscription radio. All right. So in the, in the more modern times, there's Sirius XM. Yeah. You cannot receive it without paying for it. Before that, there was Muzak, which was broadcast over the subcarriers on the FM dial. But to hear it, you had to buy a special radio from Muzak hmm. to get that signal. That way you could uh, air the content in your business and they wouldn't right. stream the, commercials over your, exactly. over your um, loudspeakers. Right. M-U-Z-A-K, which was the sort of the, the beautiful music that, you know, pop hits without any vocals, uh, soothing I music I was having to explain to my middle schooler that that used to be that, you know, when I used to go to the grocery store when I was his age, they didn't play awesome music the way that they do here in portland oregon where you're likely to hear any kind of uh punk rock you're likely to hear the pixies playing in your grocery store when i was a kid the only music was muzak muzak which they paid for well, and was and it radio. got piped into i remember at my temp jobs when i was in college over the oh. summer being tortured by hearing muzak at work you know so i'd right. be in an office with like sort of a quiet office and you would just yeah. hear this oppressive sort of well, easy listening versions of familiar yeah. songs. And it's so funny because I didn't miss it one inch until I realized it was gone. Uh, just to derail the topic. And we might've burned out. Still exists. We might've burned out the podcast that well, is well, only on the internet. Well, right. yeah. But, but I want to, I just want to reference a recent radio survivor conversation that I re-listened to that we didn't put back into the, we might put back into a rebroadcasting uh, milieu. It might, it might air again on radio survivor, but we had Matthew Lazar on a few, um, a few months ago and he surprised us by changing the entire focus of the program to, uh, to smooth jazz. And I had not known until that moment that I cared about smooth jazz. And it, it, the only reason I cared about it now, it used to be, uh, it used to be as prevalent as anything. It used to be uh, the muck on the bottom of my shoe 
as radio sounds. But then uh, Matthew taught me that it was gone. It had died as a radio genre. It was no longer around. And that's when I realized uh, I wanted to hear it again. And so Mm -hmm. I even uh, recently purchased for a very low, low price, a couple Kenny G CDs (laughs) and and listened to them and was so shocked to find out that um, that sound could inspire a level of um, anger, nausea. (laughs) And it was so fun. It was so fun to know that I had this at my fingertips that that I, you know, it definitely didn't relax me. It it angered me in a way Music that, for dyspepsia. Yeah, and and um, it's not it, that was one. That's one of my favorite episodes of Radio Survivor. I'm going to close the loop on this. The love and I'll of be Kenny glad G. To, to tie a bow on it. But I, all I'm sort of saying is that through every media platform out there, we have seen this development happen. Right, we had subscription television began in the 1970s. Right, right. Um, if we even think about uh, the World Wide Web, you know, it was all just out there for free. It took a number of years before the idea of like strictly subscription web publications yeah, became a wall. reality. Now, these ICD cycles were becoming more compressed. Radio was around for decades before there was a subscription model. Television was around for decades before there was a subscription model. But because we have this prehistory and then the mechanisms are there, especially on the internet already, to, to create things which are uh, subscribable, paywallable. Um, we expect that the the cycle and the development is going to be uh, more constrained and it's going to happen much more quickly, but we shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Right. And, and that there's this, there's a certain inevitability uh, of these things because they all exist in the same economic system. They all exist in, in, in some version of our consumer capitalism that we have here in, in, in much of, of the Western world, if not the world in general at this point. And so we should expect all of these things to happen. Um, what we can't predict is, is what the eventual outcomes will be, how successful any given attempt will be, right? For every HBO, there's a Wometco home theater where they <laughs> used to sell you a box that you had to put on your TV to bring in your local yeah. uh, UHF channel late at night, which was scrambled to give you pr- subscription movies. They don't exist anymore, 20, 2019, but HBO persists. 2019, mid-2019 is a very interesting time for 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 paywalled premium radio internet content uh that it, there's a lot of new shows going up behind you know for uh, behind subscription walls that uh, I'm sure are uh, uh good for the ears and building communities um it's really interesting though uh but it's and it solves a problem just how mad some listeners can get that their free stuff was taken away well in I mean, in most cases, I mean, I have to say that for, say, for Luminary, I don't want, I'm not going to go out, I'm not a, I don't work for them and I'm not defending them. Uh, most of those are new shows. Yeah. They're not shows that are, uh, most of them, not well, all. I'm, I'm referencing something in particular that I, that I stumbled upon where uh, a creator, someone that you and I, Paul, actually had the opportunity to learn about from the PodCon in Seattle a couple of years ago, we found out that there were all these radio dramas right. that were being produced uh, for extremely enthusiastic fan communities, uh, radio dramas that we didn't that hadn't bubbled up to our attention. This is why referencing back to the idea of you know about a podcast that you love. I, that I know is what small. you're talking about, but this person is creating a new podcast for Oh, well I I, I not, so and, I read and, and, a Tumblr that podcast producer Lauren Shippen is the producer of a program called The Bright Sessions and 
what's happened was that Lauren had taken their hit podcast and spun it off with this new podcast network, Luminary, and the spinoff is going to be behind a paywall. And Lauren Shippen um, has this response that I found really fascinating to a fan who was sad and angry that they were no longer going to be able to enjoy uh, the next iteration of Lauren's work. Uh, they were no longer to, going to be able to follow their favorite characters into their next uh, spinoff without paying for it. And what Lauren did was that, you know, what I was making before, the free thing that you loved, uh, almost killed me. I'm not, I'm too old to do it. And I don't... I can't work 70-hour weeks right. anymore. For almost no money. And I want to pay people to make things And ultimately, me. I mean, as we know, and this is the same problem we've... But this, right, this is the problem. And, yeah. and one thing it that reminds that me of episode, solves, I think it was episode seven where we spoke to uh, Julie Sabatier, who produced a podcast uh, that was called Destination DIY and then changed his name to Rendered that sort of bubbled up out of a community radio culture that was, as far as I was concerned, a hit podcast. But Julie Sabatier kind of explained to us the life cycle of the show that it was, you know, it was a little Not bit grant, economically sustainable, a little bit grant funded, a little bit community fundraising funded, and required sixty-hour weeks from a dedicated producer. Who, you know, basically Julie was able to finally fundraise enough to pay a few collaborators, but never could fundraise enough to pay themselves for their time. And um, it turns out that that's not an uncommon. No. And, and, and it's the same thing that people in community and college radio face. There are people who put in tens of hours a week into yeah. their community or college radio show as a labor of love. Um, I think. Government housing and poverty appears to be a formula for creative success uh, and longevity on community radio. I mean, the only difference is yeah. is that most people who get they in, love volunteers, right? Who have is, no job. <laughs> is that the people who get into community radio or college radio generally don't make the assumption that this might be remunerative, right? In, in in any sort of financial way, that 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 they're happy for the opportunity. That yeah. would not exist otherwise. They get to reach an audience and they get to work in you know exactly. in a community. But yeah, podcasts have set up a different level of expectations, especially for some people. Yes, especially the mainstream narrative of what a podcast is, because we only find out about the huge hits. You know the the what's it? Um, there's like a one that just dropped because of uh, the Trump era that we live in. You know, it started from zero and it went to uh, a three million. Uh, I, you know, it's not even important, but but that's the idea: is that you launch a podcast and relatively overnight you hit critical mass and 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 you quit your jobs and and you podcast full time. You know, we have to sort of say we, we talk about all these uh, podcasters who uh, do their podcasts and they're not really able to uh, remunerate themselves. Um, that is the case for Radio Survivor, um, and we do this as a labor love first and foremost. So let's get that out of the way. Um, However, it does take time, and we do put a lot of time into this. I am a professional radio producer, mm -hmm. and as often as I possibly can, I put in the hours of to Radio Survivor that I would for the job that I treat it as. I make I, I put in hours and hours upon hours, a full a full day of work to edit some of my favorite episodes of the show that then go out for absolutely no 
uh, money. We give them away. Yes, and and we have people who contribute right now via our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash Rio Survivor. And we're, we're extremely grateful to everyone who contributes because that helps us pay a lot of the, the bills associated with doing yeah. this. And it provides a little bit of extra money to help out uh, when there's maybe some travel expenses or some equipment costs here and there. But it by no means uh, covers what is the real labor cost of doing uh, the show weekend and out uh, week you know, in and out. And on top of the fact that we're able to not just distribute it as a podcast, but we're able to get it out to over 20 uh, radio stations around North America. And we distribute it to stations for free because we understand that most uh, low power FM stations, in particular community stations, um, don't have a budget for acquiring programming at all um, and are very happy to have a program made for them. Uh, that they can air without restriction, and that's why we do it. But I'm it, so proud of the the work when when we give it away for free to these stations. I think that you know, uh, as a listener to stations, that you know, when I was beginning my listening habits, becoming a fan of community radio, um, I was extremely unaware of how these stations that I was becoming a part of. Uh, as an audience member fit into the the wider world of radio and the history of what's gone on on radio and the future and not to mention uh just how exciting the activism that went into creating these stations has been yeah it gives it gives context i think a lot of times when you're working in college or community radio you are so focused on your own station that you you don't realize the greater community of of radio. So I, I that's what I really appreciate about the podcast and about Radio Survivor in general is that we're providing that overall context. And and we're shooting to provide even more context in history. Yeah. You know, we we will celebrate 10 years as Radio Survivor uh this this June. We will celebrate 4 years of the podcast this June. Wow. And it will be the 20th anniversary of the creation of Low Power FM coming up in January of 2020. It will be the 20th anniversary of the creation of Indie Media uh, around the Battle of Seattle, around yeah, the WTO. Clearly aren't coincidental dates. No, these all things come together. and It's a story that needs to be Needs to be told. written. Needs yeah. to be told. And it's been told in pieces, but it is, there's no one kind of co- coherent altogether narrative. And we'd like to do that work. We'd like to have listeners to to Radio Survivor and readers of Radio Survivor understand this history of how alternative and community media came together uh, basically in the 1990s, different forms that it existed, like public access television, unlicensed radio, community radio, uh, came together with people who were doing pioneering internet technology stuff. Yeah. As I understand it, activists and media youngsters uh, of all ages really um, understood a promise that wasn't fulfilled for a you know another 15 years or so that the internet had this and what I mean is like now everyone can have a Twitter account and it's gotten to a point where we might have even soured on the notion of what's possible on Twitter or Facebook but there was a time where these tools were being built by hand by people who had a completely different to publish motivation. To publish yeah. audio or video or pictures or print immediately at a time when... To make media. To have a web page, it meant you had to learn 
this language called HTML yeah. and and figure out how to do all this yourself. There was no really no one click publish. And this this community media for the internet uh, really um, it was a big deal, and it had a, a lot of uh, uh, people. There was a lot of contributors, and I think it was intimately linked to what else was going on in community media at the time. Um, you know, most people that were doing this were probably also, in my memory, they were also community radio producers or, and or, reporters. Or they were working in community media one way or another. Public yeah. access television was also a, a right. very big contributor to all of this. And I, mean, I, I know that Free Speech Radio News sort of grew, grew out of that as well. It's, Free Speech Radio News was my first radio job, you know, and it, it's, and that's a history that I think is linked to this that I need to Right, need so to we can sit here and recount it from our memories, <laughs> right? But, but what we really want to do is to go back and talk to people who were talk there. Talk to everyone else. Right, and to really construct the history and put it to facts of how this resulted in low power FM and the greatest flowering of community radio that we've ever seen. How this, uh, there's a line, you can actually draw a direct line from indie media to Twitter and to podcasting. All right. These yeah. things are all connected and it's all because of community media activists who made this happen. And so we want to, we want this history we think should be out there and should be documented. We need your help to do it because it takes time. It takes effort and it will take money. So please contribute to our Patreon campaign. We want to have enough time to get started so that we got something to go with in November of this year of 2019. So we'd like to see 100 contributors to our Patreon campaign by July 1. That's that's the, the runway that we need is people providing a contribution as low as a dollar a month to us every month so we can kind of budget these resources and begin getting this work done. I mean, and if we don't make it, we're not going to be able to do the work. I mean, it's as simple as that. We might we'll, get an episode in, but not... Not the, I, I don't want to make 50. I don't want to make any promises. Yeah. yeah, you know because it because we, it's I real mean, work. We do want to talk to a hundred people or more, you know, who are part of the community radio, indie radio, indie media movement of the nineties. Uh, and, and early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. I, every week it'd and be we, nice to work and, on this project. And, right, and we. We have sources. We have people to go to. We, we, you know, I worked in indie media in, at that time. So we're with connections. So we're not coming into this cold, but it's the real work that needs to be done. I will say, I can't tell you what it will be. We'll have a surprise for folks who do sign up at the $5 a month level by July 1. We'll have a special gift. Yeah, we're and it's very on. much in keeping with the project. It's very in keeping, <laughs> very consistent. But we really need your help. Go to patreon.com slash radio survivor. So Jennifer, I know you have uh, some interesting updates from one of our favorite high school radio stations uh, at the Vacaville Christian School in California. Yes, Ralph Martin at KVCB. He wrote in because... Not only, we were talking about Vinylthon, the same week of Vinylthon was also High School Radio Week. Hmm. And and Ralph Martin, he's always doing kind of these over-the-top projects, and his students will be a 24-hour live marathon, which is unusual for a lot of high school radio stations to be on the air for 24 hours. But to top it off, they're going to be communicating with outer space, trying to reach alien life. So he writes, we'll be sending a coded message into outer space, inviting alien spaceships to land on our football field. 
Then we will simulcast our show into outer space using a series of modulated lights on our roof. We'll keep the stadium lights on as a landing guide. Calling as occupants. If, as if an advanced civilization capable of interstellar travel needs landing lights, he says. Um, and then a team of his student broadcasters, he writes, in tents and with binoculars, will check in from time to time to let us know if they see any UFOs heading our way. How fun. Ralph, Ralph Martin, Jennifer, you taught us about Ralph Martin and his radio uh, projects that he shares with his high school students. And I've never been able to forget the the kinds of radio scavenger hunts. I mean, they produce radio drama. They have yeah. an HD signal, one of the only low-power FMs out there with an HD signal. But one of those things that stuck with me, you know, in the days since we first talked about his work at the high school radio station that he helps run and that he shares with students, um, we've learned more and more about about um, people that use radio as their, as their art medium, which is also mm-hmm. known as... Um, Transmission art. Yeah, which is which is also known as transmission art. And I really think that Ralph Martin is a transmission artist at heart, uh, creating, you know, oh, yeah. embedding clues for scavenger hunts and other kind of uh, escape yeah. room style games exactly. that his students can, can explore using radio technology. Yeah, he broadcasts secret signals. He's also the band teacher. So, you know, he does a lot of projects that that tie in with music. Uh, they have an entire HD channel that's all student work, and some of that is experimental pieces using, you know, ambient recordings that they've made. So, so yeah, contacting with outer space through radio is just right in line with everything that they do. Uh, and they're also going to be playing music back in the studio, space-themed songs. Mm. Uh, local bands will be playing that's space-themed really, wow. songs live. And this happened in the past. So this happened, you know, last week during High School Radio Week, which is the same week as Vinyl Thon. So a so an it happened on April twelfth. Yes, How it exciting. happened on April twelfth. It's, it's reminiscent of uh, a future episode, the one that we just recorded very recently, where a transmission artist uh, has created work designed to be uh, beamed into the ionosphere by powerful. By powerful radio antennas. So, oh, you'll have to stay yeah, tuned. That's coming up for that one. I, I, I Many believe it's coming up next week if I can uh, if I can muster the courage to edit it. Okay. Well, uh, you can learn more at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Look for episode number one eighty nine for our show notes. They will be voluminous. There's many many different garden paths uh, you can go down to learn more about what we're talking about here on the show. Of course, this is a podcast and radio show. We're heard on more than 20 stations across North America, and you can subscribe to the podcast, which is free, by the way. It costs you nothing at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast so you never, ever miss an episode. If you have any comments, we've asked many questions today. Drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. This is a listener and reader-supported enterprise, and we have a project coming up where we want to document the convergence of community right. radio, um, internet uh, geeks, and uh, public access well, television, long, community long media story activists. Short, long story short, if you're listening to us on the radio, chances are you're listening to us on a low-power FM station. We want to document the and history the, the secret history this. or the unknown story of low-power FM is that it wouldn't exist without, without a very specific 90s... Uh, activist community that that helped birth it, that helped bring these radio stations into the world and create the framework 
that allowed them to exist. The framework legally. and the pressure on the FCC. And that's so, the story. That's half the story that we want to tell. Half the story we want to tell. To learn more about that, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Jennifer, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us here. Oh yeah, it's uh, great to be all together again. From San Francisco, I had a great time. It's yeah. I'm glad to be back in the saddle. Thank yeah, you, Eric. Yeah, glad to have you back. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope we'll be talking with you next week. Hey, and uh, podcast audience, check out the recent episodes. They've I'm so proud of the work. Uh, Jennifer produced uh, uh, interviews with um, Lerone Martin, who is a historian that studied African-American preachers. Episode uh, number 186. That uh, African-American preachers on wax. So, and, you know, and this... This was a good. This was a good risk that we took to talk about um, the history of uh, recording artists that right. you know doesn't necessarily have the word radio. But it's sound. But it's I know. Sound. Yeah, I was. Well, I was so intrigued. So I thought it. I thought it qualified. And and then it turns. And out he that, contextualizes yeah. it within the world of radio too. Like why weren't that, they on the radio? Yeah, and it just turned out to be a story of the history of radio, but through the medium of uh, the recording artists that were a part of of uh what to me sounds like the invention of american gospel music that mm-hmm. this is this is the these are gospel records uh in the well, it wouldn't be the invention of, of the music it'd be right, the invention right, right. the recording genre yes of yeah obviously obviously not the invention of the music but but the but the first um the first time gospel was on vinyl were these amazing records of preachers oh my gosh such a fun episode uh check it out and then uh we also uh, recently, I I think did one of our um, best episodes of Radio Survivor to date on uh, queer history and how you know it is. There's an argument to be made that without community radio, there wouldn't be the kinds of preservation of sounds of queer voices from the 70s and 80s. Uh, it would be impossible that that there was a time where uh, people who were gay and explicitly outwardly gay would not have had the opportunity to broadcast to audiences without without community radio without pacifica radio in particular in, in a way which was open yeah exactly right not not closeted and, and not coded especially if they well, weren't and you, famous and, and we also learned that you know people could call in anonymously yeah. and and come out and that might be the place where they came out as as lgbtq was over the radio because that was an anonymous place. And that was a revelation to me thinking about these coming out stories happening over community yeah. radio. And we actually uh, heard one particular piece of tape on this episode. This was, this was uh, episode number. Uh, I'm looking it up friends. 187. Ep- episode number 187 with Brian DeShazer. Uh, Brian brought us a piece of tape that, that featured a young man. Uh, he didn't, it's like not like he came out that he didn't like announce his homosexuality on the radio, but he, he did. He was like, "Hey, I'm I think I'm pretty gay." To the and this is like 1969, and there was an argument that Brian made that the tape itself was not preserved in the ways that other Pacifica radio shows would have been preserved because it uh, was too hot. That, that the FCC could have used it as evidence to shut down WBAI. So so uh, Brian had to find these pieces of tape and preserve them uh, through other means. And all, I mean, 
that was episode well, yeah, number that could be why we we don't have. There might be a lot of tapes that got taped over for that reason too. So there might be there's a lot of missing history. Yeah, but but some of it exists. Some of it has been preserved. And Brian DeShazer is working on a project to bring those to the fore. And we were able to share some of those tapes that he found, you know, found in a storage unit in Santa Barbara, which is a desert. Um, was it Santa Barbara or was it... Uh, I think it was Palm Springs. Palm Springs. I get them confused. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> one's on the coast, one's not. They're both in, They're both north of Los Angeles. And both lovely places. Yeah. And, and you don't want to put magnetic reel-to-reel tape in a storage unit in either community if, you're, if your plan is to preserve them. But uh, Brian was able to find these tapes probably in the nick of time and get them digitized. And that's what we talked about on that episode and shared those sounds um, something that I was extremely proud to help with, something that was a really cool show to work on. Um, it went out onto the podcast at an hour and 20 minutes, and those epi- that episode's available for free, and I just wanted to put in a plug for you to hear it. I also think that the radio version of the episode, which is 59 minutes on the nose, is something that um, was really unique. You know, if we're talking, if we're tooting our own horn here at Radio Survivor, that 59 minutes of radio um, celebrating the archival sounds of community radio discussing gay issues in the 70s and 80s before that became uh, mainstream acceptable uh, was really um, it's why we do the work right this is you know celebrating community radio history is a very um, it's it, it's it's fascinating to me that more people don't do it and I, I was tempted just now to say that only radio survivor is engaged in the project. It's. I don't think it is true that we're the only ones. I mean, we know about Sounding Out, yes. which is a wonderful Thank sound God. studies podcast. And it's the kind of thing I think that, that every so often you, a number of public radio yeah. associated, if not actual public radio shows, take up. But I think when it comes into week in and week out, yeah, and like who else <laughs> the, on the radio? There's right? yeah, it, it's going to be a hard hard time uh, finding that. So well, anyway, it's pretty I, special to bring those archival sounds to light, and you know that's a big that's a big part of the radio preservation task force of the Library of Congress is not only preserving this radio history but also using it and and making sure that it that people are hearing hearing these stories and and learning about our past from audio, not just from the written word. So I'm 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 really delighted that we're able to use archival sound in some of these recent episodes. Yeah, if I was forced to only be the podcast of record for the Library of Congress's uh, radio, radio Preservation Task Force, um, I would not uh, regret my life's choices. That'd be a pretty cool. That'd be a pretty cool project. And anytime that Radio Survivor does an episode about the Radio Preservation Task Force and the people that are preserving the sounds of radio. Um, I'm proud of the work. And so that one that Brian DeShazer brought us, uh, check it out if you haven't checked it out, is episode number 187. All right. All right, friends. That's just that was just an extra plug for the for the internet please, audience. Yeah, please uh, listen away. And then and then give to our Patreon campaign, internet <laughs> audience. Yes. Patreon.com slash radio survivor.